This morning's reading is from Matthew chapter 8, beginning at verse 28. When Jesus arrived at the other side in the region of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men coming from the tombs met him. They were so violent that no one could pass that way. What do you want with us, son of God? they shouted. Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? Some distance from them a large herd of pigs was feeding. The demons begged Jesus, If you drive us out, send us into the herd of pigs. He said to them, Go. So they came out and went into the pigs, and the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and died in the water. Those tending the pigs ran off, went into the town and reported all this, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. Then the whole town went out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they pleaded with him to leave their region. This is the Gospel of Christ. Praise, Praise to Christ, Christ the, the word. word. Excellent. Good morning, everyone. Very good to be with you, and um, I've really enjoyed the service this morning. I enjoyed Miriam. Uh, congratulating Will and Miriam on their engagement. And they're here. I don't know whether she mentioned that this morning, but they're here with us within our uh, 10 person. We can have more than 10 here, can't we? But I think we've got exactly 10. There's not much room for more than 10 here. Uh, But it's been great to be able to rejoice in that. Excellent to see Phil and Chris Carr and to um, rejoice and remember their excellent ministry over with the Bamu people in Papua New Guinea. And uh, I'm particularly pleased that this morning I know that there will be many of you who are not just taking part in this at home, but gathering with others from St. Stephen's in smaller groups uh, in homes. I'm so pleased that that can happen, and um, I pray that it's a joy. And if it can't happen for you yet, uh, it can happen soon, and uh, I look forward to that as well. I also look forward to us being able to gather together so that it's not just small 10 people here and in your groups, but a, a different way. Uh, it'd be good if you have a Bible with you to open that Bible. If you haven't got a Bible, I'm about to pray. Is it? Okay to ask, advise people to sneak off during a prayer and grab a Bible? I, th- I, I think it's okay. Go and get a Bible. You'll want a Bible for this morning. Uh, let me pray while you do that. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. It's a lovely morning this morning here in Christchurch, and it's a privilege to be able to gather in this unusual way but still gather as your people. And this morning we're thinking about a passage which is, uh, it may be odd to some of our ears, things that are not familiar to us. We pray, Lord, that by your spirit this morning, the spirit that we remember this Pentecost Sunday, that you would open our eyes, open our hearts, open our lives to your truth. Teach us, mould us more into the likeness of Jesus. Be at work amongst us this morning as we sit under your word, for we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm aware that um, one of the things that's happened over this lockdown period and us doing services in this different way is that we've been joined at each of the services by people that are not just from St. Stephen's. They've been uh, joining us from different places around the the country and the world, and uh, many may not know Jesus. They may not yet call themselves followers of Jesus. You may just be looking into things and questioning. And our reading this morning, if that's you, may have confirmed to you that Christianity is not for you. For some people, the passage that Juliet just read read to us and the truths contained in it, uh, this for some is what is wrong with Christianity. It speaks about stuff you can't actually believe. It speaks about stuff that seems to have very little to do with the lives that you and I lead on a daily basis, the reality that we exist in. Different to last week. If you were here last week, uh, James was preaching from the verses just before these verses, the ones where Jesus was in a boat with his disciples, a raging storm kind of 
uh, came up and Jesus calmed it. And we can relate to that at some level. Those of you who are questioning may have some concerns and questions over whether Jesus actually controlled nature, but at least all of us understand the power of nature. We felt it. We've experienced it. Whether it's a storm that we were in the midst of, for those of us in Christchurch, whether it's earthquakes that we went through, whether it's fires that we've seen or tsunamis, we, we get an element of that. But today is very different in our passage. We're in the realm of demon possession. Our first verse, verse 28, literally said, two demon-possessed men coming from the tombs met Jesus. They were so violent, no one could pass that way. And as soon as you read that, suddenly, for, for many, this is fairy tale stuff. This is horrors and Halloweens and horcruxes. It's about movies and uh, books. It's fantasy. Very little to do with real life. Very little to do with what you and I uh, meet on a daily basis. And the fact that it's about evil, it's, it's demon possession and evil spirits, makes it even less realistic somehow. There's, there's somehow in this uh, basically non-Christian world that you and I live in, it's still okay to a certain extent to believe in a god, but to believe in a devil seems more ludicrous. Even in uh, certain areas of life, you think about insurance policies, there, there's a thing called acts of God. But there's nothing called deeds of the devil, I don't think. You can't claim for that, can you? Or there's nothing like that somehow worse. Although, in our language, we still, what goes on here, we still, there's hints of it in our language. How many times have you either heard or uttered, I wonder what got into her when someone's behaved a certain way? I wonder what's possessed him when they've done something. So, But it's still odd. It seems very strange to our ears. So today, I take it, may, may seem removed for you, odd to your experience. It will certainly raise questions. But that's okay. That's what we're here for. Uh, as Christians, we don't run away from those questions. We open the scriptures week by week, day by day in our lives. We hear what God has to say, and then we think about it. And although we may not get answers to everything, we're going to, we're going to be reflecting on um, all the questions that are raised in this passage. In fact, we, it raises so many questions, I'm going to look at it under three questions. The three questions are what, how, and who, except it'll be a different order. What, who, and how? What, who, and how? And I think that um, Miriam said at the beginning of our time together at today's Pentecost, I think it's very apt that we're thinking on this. Although we're not looking at Acts chapter 2 when the Spirit first came down and indwelt the believers uh, on the day that the church was uh, was born, Acts 2, that the coming of the Holy Spirit is central to it on that day of Pentecost because it's a reminder that there's more to life than just the physical and the tangible that you and I touch. There's a spiritual reality to it, and we're confronted by that truth in a very real way in this passage. So it's very apt that we're looking at it. So three questions, what, uh, how, who, and how. Firstly, then what? And the question really here is what's going on? There's a lot kind of questions that uh, you should be asking and can be asking about this passage. Let's think about some of them. What is going on? So in verse 28, if you're following along in your Bible, we're told that Jesus arrived at the other side. We're not told what the other side is, but if you remember from last week, they're, they're on a boat on, on a body of water, the Sea of Galilee or the Lake of Galilee, and they've got to the other side of it. And they've got to a region called the Gadarenes, uh, sometimes called the Gerasenes, but the same uh, area. And it's here that two demon-possessed men come out to Jesus. Now, 
Uh, I want to say, and get this out of the way because some people wrestle with it, this incident is not just found here in Matthew, it's found in two of the other Gospels. It's found in Mark and Luke. But only in Matthew does it speak of there being two possessed men that come out. In all three accounts, it comes immediately after the calming of the storm, but only in Matthew is it recorded there's two. And for some reason, for some people, that's caused great difficulty. Oh, well, here's another example of the Bible getting it wrong. Here's another inconsistency and show and proof that um, you can't trust the Bible. But I want to say that, that, that kind of reporting, because that's what's going on here, it's not storytelling, it's reporting, this is what happens when you report. Uh, picture this. Uh, my wife and I could go out and we find we come across some family friends, and then we go home, and I come across my daughter Molly, and I say, guess what, Molly? I saw George Georgenson today, our old family friend. And Jamie, my, my wife, comes across Laura and says, you won't believe it, Laura, we saw the Georgenson family today. George Georgenson, his wife Georgina Georgenson, they're three children, George Georgenson Jr., gorgeous George Georgenson, and Brian. <laughs> and now what's happened there is it's been reported. Both are true. But I've focused on George Georgenson, because he's my favourite. Jamie said, we've met all of them. But th there's just a different emphasis, but the same truth of what's happening. It's pretty clear, it seems to me, when you put the three gospel accounts together, there were two men involved. But one seems to have been more prominent. One, for whatever reason, Mark and Luke wanted to highlight and speak more of it. May have been that he'd been possessed for longer. May have been that he was more well known amongst the people in that region, and so they focus on them. But there were two that had happened. But what's going on in the whole scene? Well, there's clearly something of evil here. Demon possession, unclean spirits, there's something going on that, that's evil. But I just mentioned a word there that I also think is important. Unclean is a theme that's going on here. Although the word is not there, there's an unclean theme going through these verses. This area, the Gadarenes or the Gerasenes, is a Gentile area. Unclean. The men are demon-possessed, meaning they are unclean. They're coming from the tombs, we've just been told, an unclean place. And there's a huge herd of pigs, the unclean animals. And so as, you, as we read through this, I want you to be thinking, oh, there's, it's evil's being confronted here, but also clean and unclean is being confronted here. But it's demon possession that I think, demon possession and pigs, that raises the most questions. What do we make of demon possession here? For a lot of us, as I said, this kind of evil or the thought that things like this can happen or exist is hard for us to swallow. As I said, this is movie stuff or, or book stuff. And we can be tempted to read these events and think, well, that's not what went on. Uh, we can sometimes think, well, the people back then, they were so naive. They were so backward. They didn't really understand things. What actually happened there was they came across people with mental health issues or major schizophrenic episodes or something similar. But that's not what's going on here. It's clearly not what's going on here. And we're to be sure about that. Think about the things that are recorded here for us by Matthew, by God, through Matthew. Every time you find, and it's the case here, every time you come across people possessed in the Gospels, they have a supernatural side to them. Here, that's exhibited in two ways, supernatural knowledge and supernatural strength. They're so violent, no one goes there anymore, and they know things that no one else knows. You see that in the, the words that they say to Jesus. The, the, the whole beginning of the Gospels is filled with people who don't know who Jesus is. Even the disciples who'd spent a lot of time with Jesus and who knew him at a personal level better than anyone, 
the passage last week finished with them saying, what kind of man is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. They don't even know him. As soon as these demon-possessed people come across Jesus, look what they say in verse 29, what do you want with a son of God? They have a supernatural knock. They know exactly who this is standing in front of them. They know that it's God the Son. They also say something else showing knowledge, which I won't talk about yet, but I'll come back to. They say, have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? That, that they're hinting of something they know, uh, which only they know. Again, it's supernatural knowledge. We'll come back to what it means in a moment. But do you see this is being described? That this possession is real. This is happening. You can see it's uh, it's real by the pigs episode too. The pigs episode is very strange. I'm not going to try and get away from that or that I know all the answers to it. But the evil spirits are cast into the pigs by Jesus and they run off a cliff into the lake and drown like lemmings. Now that raises a number of questions, but the one thing it shows is this just wasn't a delusion in the part of the two people. This wasn't just some mental health issues that they were struggling with, or because mental health issues that a person's struggling with doesn't end up with a large herd of pigs running off a cliff and drowning. This shows that something real is happening here. Well, people then say, uh, okay, well, maybe something's happening there, but then if it's demon possession, why don't we see much of that kind of thing today? And I think that's a fair question. Why don't I encounter this very often? And Well, firstly, I want to point out, it's not just that it doesn't happen much today. It doesn't happen much in the scriptures. Demon possession is not something, and evil spirits working on a person is not something that crops up on every page of the scriptures. It's very rare. There are a couple of occasions in the Old Testament and the New Testament where Satan is said to, to operate on someone, but demon possession in the sense that it is here, I think I'm right in saying this, only happens twice outside the Gospels. And that's both in the book of Acts, straight after Jesus was living and amongst people. And so it, it seems to happen in a very centered space. And I think that makes sense. Uh, at the time when the light of the world was in the world, the darkness rebels against it most and you see the battle lines drawn and the confrontation at hand in a very kind of immediate and special way. Now, in saying that, I'm not saying that this kind of thing doesn't happen today or can't happen today, but I don't think it's everywhere, all, all, all the time. Uh, but I am saying it can happen. One of the things I want you to get from today is believing in a spiritual reality. There is more to life than what you and I just experience with our five senses. The, the Bible is clear that we live in a spiritual reality as well as a physical reality, and Christians are in a spiritual battle. But this kind of demon possession is still not seen or experienced as much, not in this kind of way, in the West as much. But when you speak to Christians who've served or lived in other parts of the world, sometimes they'll talk about it more. It can happen in the West, but, but, but it can tend to happen in other places, more rural areas or third world countries. And I think that's the same back in the Gospels too. We don't read of any, again, I think I'm right, come back and write a comment on it or something uh, if I'm wrong, but I don't think we see any demon possession in Jerusalem. It's only in the more rural, quieter areas. But why is that? Uh, I don't think we're told. We can wrestle with this and work some things out, I, I believe. It makes sense that in a battle you have different strategies for different contexts. What works in one place at one time with one group of people may not work with another. And the devil and demons and uh, evil spirits, they want to do what's most effective. And in some places that may be possession. 
where it causes fear and questions. But in other places, that's not what's required. And in urban built-up um, places, often what you need is not possession. It's just to allow people to carry on with their materialism, allow them to carry on with their busyness of life, which stops them thinking about the Lord and wondering about life and who Jesus is and turning to him. And so it's, it may be more effective as a strategy to do something different. There's a great book by uh, C.S. Lewis, who wrote the Narnia books, called The Screwtape Letters. If you haven't read it, read it. It's a great book. And it's, a, um, it's written as a series of letters written by a senior demon to a junior demon who's his nephew. And um, in the letters, he, he teaches the junior demon tricks of the trade, things to do to tempt people and to pull them away from the Lord and mistakes to avoid and all that kind of thing. It's very clever. And it's great on this kind of strategy, not the possession strategy, but the just... Just get them busy so they don't think about eternal life. Just pull them away from it. That's what goes on, I think, uh, for most of us in more urban Western uh, contexts. There's a really good uh, quote in the preface of that book where Lewis writes, There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. Very wise words by Lewis there. And I want us not to fall into either camp. Don't be fooled into thinking that Satan or demons or evil spirits don't exist. They are real. They're in the scriptures. We're, we're warned about them. We're told to be on our guard for them. We're told that we're in a spiritual battle. Be aware of them. But don't give them too much. Don't become... Some people are unhealthily or obsessively kind of... Um, uh, interested in this kind of area or, or afraid in this area. Christians can never be possessed, ever, because we have the Holy Spirit of God within us and the Holy Spirit is not pushed around by anyone or anything else. And we need to know that although there's a spiritual battle and we're told as fallen, frail human beings to be on our guard, we're given spiritual armour. We're... Um, uh, the, the Christian cosmology, cosmology meaning this is your view of the universe and how it operates, the Christian cosmology is not dualism. Dualism teaches that there's an eternal battle going on between good and evil, and we don't know who's going to win in the end. And uh, Armageddon, this battle between God and Satan is happening and um, could come down to just one decision made here or something. That's not what the Bible teaches. God is completely dominant completely dominant. There is a spiritual battle. Jesus believed that. The Bible teaches that. We should know that. But it's not hanging in the balance. And so don't be obsessed by it. Some people see demons and evil spirits everywhere. Some people, I think, try to attribute everything that's gone wrong in their life to those things. And sometimes it stops them from taking ownership of mistakes they've made or, or other things. Don't go overboard. But don't believe it's not real. So that's something on demon possession itself. Uh, but the what has to include the pigs here as well. And uh, what about the pigs? I don't know. I'm not sure. There's a lot of questions, and um, I don't have many answers. It's a bizarre thing. The spirits go into the pigs, and as I said before, they run like lemmings and off the cliff and into the water and drown. Here's the questions. Why do the spirits want to go into the pigs? I don't know. Why does Jesus allow it? Is he being nice to them or kind to them? I don't know. Do the spirits make the pigs go into the lake, or is it just a kind of frenzied response by swine that gets spirits in them? I don't know. So many questions that uh, we don't know. But there are a couple of things we do absolutely know and I want us to be sure of in the light of these verses. 
Here's number one. People are more important than pigs. People are more important than pigs. Uh, Matthew just tells us that there was a large herd. Mark tells us there was over 2,000 porkers. 2,000 pigs. Think about that for a moment. They die because the souls of these two men are more important in Jesus' eyes. Now, animals are wonderful things. God has created animals and he's given us the responsibility as human beings to look after his good creation. And part of that is the way we care for animals. But never think that they're the, the, the same thing here. Uh, they're not. Human beings are qualitatively different, made in the image of God. Our souls and spirits uh, are important and they're important to Jesus and you can see that here. I nearly called this title, uh, this talk, People Over Pigs. No, I didn't. Uh, anyway, so we, we know that's one thing we should be able to take from what happened with the pigs here. We also know from the pigs, as I kind of hinted at before, that this happened. It would be easy, wouldn't it? There are some... I've thought about what it would be like to be a fake faith healer before. And um, you, you can heal a lot of things that people can't visibly see. But this was visible. You can't make 2,000 pigs jump off a cliff and die. And that would have been helpful for two groups of people. Firstly, for the men themselves. If they ever got to a point in their life when they were saying, did Jesus really deliver me? Because I'm tempted to do something bad now, or I've just done something now. Maybe it's still the evil spirit. Uh, no, 2,000 pigs in front of my eyes jumped off a cliff and something happened. Jesus did it. He achieved it. It was visible and tangible. They could see it and experience it in that way. But they weren't the only people there. In verse 33, there were some people tending the pigs, and they saw it and witnessed it. And so for them too, when they went to the village and told other people what Jesus did, they were saying what they'd seen with their own eyes. It couldn't be got around. Are you sure it happened? Yeah, I'm really sure. You don't forget something like that. One other thing perhaps it shows is that there's always a cost in dealing with evil. The sacrificial system showed that. There was a cost. For, for people to be okay before a holy God, there was a cost that had to be dealt with when evil was being dealt with. The cross of Christ shows that. This passage shows that too. So although we don't know all the things to do with this passage, there are some things which are really true and we need to know and be aware of. So that's the what, what was going on. Let me say, and the, the next two are a bit more brief, uh, who? Because the natural question that you ask once you start seeing all of this is, who is this guy who's done this? Who is this Jesus who's done it? Last week, as I said, with the calming of the storm, at the end of the passage, when they had seen Jesus calm a storm just by speaking, the disciples who knew Jesus, who'd lived with him and seen him do incredible things, said, what kind of man is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Well, in this passage, we see even more of who he is. Firstly, the demon-possessed people say, son of God. We're seeing that this guy is not just anyone else. He is the son of God, God the son. But we're seeing that not only can he control nature, he controls the whole spiritual realm. That's what these verses show us. Jesus only says, I don't know if you picked this up as Juliet read it, but um, Jesus only speaks once in this passage. He only says one word. In verse 32, he says, go. He says it to the evil spirits, and they go. That's who this guy is. That's who Jesus is. One word, and he controls demons. I was trying to think about it this week, whether there's objectively anything I can achieve by saying one word. 
And I've come to the conclusion there's not. <laughs> the best I can do is please, and then I'm begging. Uh, there's nothing I can control with one word. Jesus says go. The, the evil spirits obey him. That is his power and authority. Last week, quiet be still. Nature utterly bows the knee before this one. This week, go, evil forces and spirit. We've seen Jesus face temptation of evil. Now we see he's got absolute power and control over evil. That is absolute power. And this passage is showing that, especially, Jesus is the one who has a, an authoritative role and position over evil. Have a look again at verse 29. Remember I said that those evil spirit-possessed men said to Jesus, have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? What are they saying there? They are acknowledging here that there is an appointed time that's got to do with Jesus judging them. And what they're saying is, are you coming to do something before the appointed time when you're supposed to do something with us? What they're acknowledging is that Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords and there is an appointed time where one day he will finally judge them. All, and it won't be just them, it will be all evil. We sometimes talk about Jesus uh, came to die on a cross to save us from our sins and that's absolutely true and that is something I want us to know and to hold on to. But there are other ways to talk about why Jesus came. 1 John chapter 3, verse 8 says this, The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. As well as coming to save, he comes to judge, to destroy evil. And we see it here in this passage because he's the one who has authority over evil. We've seen evil in the world in the last few days crop up. And uh, there is some kinds of evil that we can stop and deal with ourselves through police or psychiatrists or counsellors or self-help. But in the end, true evil needs something more to deal with it. It needs the Son of God. It needs Jesus Christ. And in this passage, it shows that. He destroys evil. But I want to expand it slightly um, from what it is in our passage because what's going on in this passage is Jesus frees someone from bondage. In this particular case with these two particular people, it's bondage from evil spirits being possessed. But that principle of Jesus freeing from bondage is true in all sorts of areas of life. And I want you to know that this morning. There may be things that you right now know that you need freedom from, that have ensnared you or enslaved you, that you can't seem to stop or to break from. For some of us, it's certain addictions that we can't get under control. It can be from certain patterns of behavior or things, actions that we repeat or thought patterns that keep going or temptations we keep falling to. They're all things that we can feel enslaved by. And it doesn't really matter whether that's come from evil spirits that's causing it or the world or our own sinful broken selves where we're enslaved to it. Well, Jesus is the one you can turn to for freedom from bondage. He's the one who has the power uh, and the desire to free us from those things to bring freedom, to give us the power necessary or the discipline needed or the restraint required or the self-control. He, he, that's him. He's the one you, you want to turn to. It's a great picture of the authority and power of Jesus in this passage. So we've thought about the, uh, the what, we've thought a little bit about the who, and that leads us inevitably to the how, which is how will you respond? If evil is true and if this guy's the one who can deal with it, how will you respond to him? 
The tragedy of this passage is that after this incredible display of power and authority and after he transformed these two people that they knew were broken and possessed and evil and he'd sorted it out, the response of the people is terrible. Verse 34, have a look. Then the whole town went out to meet Jesus and when they saw him, they pleaded with him to leave their region. That's what it says. The word pleaded there is, it's a shame actually, it's, ex- it's exactly the same word used the, of the demon-possessed men in verse 31. It's begged. Remember the demon-possessed men in verse 31 begged Jesus, let us go into the pigs? This is the same word here. Twice in this passage, Jesus is begged to. Once by the demons and once by the all the people. But it's this second one that is sadder than the first. Remember, they they can see with their own eyes these two guys who they knew had been possessed. They were scared to go into the area where they were because they were so violent. They may have seen them for years out of their mind and the evil coming out of them. And they see them now in their right mind and restored and refreshed and healed and uh, brought back together. And they tell the guy they know did it to get out and leave us alone. That's their response. Why? Why would you? You can hear that and go, well, no one would respond like that. Why would you? People do respond like that. They did it then, and there's some justification for it, and people still do it now. Now, we don't know exactly why they don't want anything to do with Jesus, but there's a couple of very obvious possibilities. One is a financial material possibility. They'd lost 2,000 pigs. Have a think about that for a moment. Sounds funny, but as soon as you think about it, there's a principle and a reality here which is very true to life. You can imagine it, can't you? We lost how many packets of bacon today? We lost how many sausages? Tell that guy to get out of here. We, we, can't, we can't put up with that kind of... And it, it may not be as, it may not be as um, profit-driven as that, but basically what they're doing is they're picking, if it's not profits over people, they're picking salaries over souls. They're worried about the material, not the spiritual. And as soon as you put it in those categories, that's very common today. So many people in this world just live for the tangible and the physical when what I'm saying to you today is there's so much more than just the physical and the tangible. There's the spiritual. I think the lockdown's been very helpful for many of us to remind us that there's more to life than just what we've been doing. Work or shopping or travelling. There's more to life than that. We're more than just bodies. You and I are more than just flesh and blood and water and DNA. That's why you think That's why I love. That's why we have worries and hopes and morals. We're more than just flesh and blood. We've got souls and spirits. Today, there are a lot of people who are very good at looking after their bodies and very good at looking after their physical needs. And they're terrible at looking after their spirit and their soul and their eternal needs. They don't guard their heart or soul. They don't prepare for their eternal future. What happens here, tragically, at this place is very common today, where people are so caught up with the stuff of this life, they forget about the important. That's tragic. Jesus is the one you can trust with all those things. So it could be that what was going on here was a focus on the pigs and the tangible and profit and all that kind of thing, the immediate. But it could also be that they were terrified or confronted by what they saw in Jesus. When you see true power, it is frightening. Uh, It's not so much in Matthew's account, but in Mark's account of this passage and the one from last week, it's very interesting what causes the disciples to fear. 
uh, in the storm, we're told that they were afraid in the, of the storm in Mark's gospel, but at the end, they're terrified of the calm. Why would they be terrified of the calm? Because they've just seen a person speak and nature obey, and that kind of power is confronting. In this uh, passage, the equivalent in Mark's gospel, we're told that the people were afraid when they saw the, the demon-possessed man in his right mind sitting down eating, dressed, because he used to be naked and running around and doing terrible things. So they're scared when they see something normal and natural. Why? Because of the power needed to do it. When you see true power, it's frightening. And more than that, when you see true good, true cleaning, if you're dirty, you can react really badly to that. Think about the times when someone's done something good and it's made you look bad and how you respond to that. And So it could be that these people saw what Jesus did and his power and authority and his goodness and his cleaning and instead of embracing that and turning to it, they ran away from it. We sometimes get the impression that Jesus is the light of the world. If only people saw the light, they'd all come, like moths attracted to a flame. But that's not, that's not the reality of the world. There are some people who are attracted by the light and come, but there are some people who are like cockroaches. When you turn on a light in Sydney at night, uh, you hear the cockroaches scatter. They don't want to be in the light. They want to be back in the dark. And that might have been what happened here, people deliberately choosing the dark. Don't, because you miss out on Jesus. And this, this one with power and authority is so good. He doesn't use that power and authority and cleanness and to lord it over other people. He's the one who comes to, to, to rescue them and bring them goodness. And so I want to encourage you this morning as you think about how to respond to this person because of evil, I want you to turn to Jesus when you need freedom. I want you to lean into Jesus when you need strength and support. I want you to ask him when you need help and assistance. He's the one to turn to and you want to respond the right way to him. The people here beg Jesus to leave them. It's a tragedy. They turn their backs on the only real hope available in this world. The only one who can actually do something that lasts. I pray that we will learn from their mistake and we won't do the same. I'm going to pray. Father, we thank you for this um, opportunity to see uh, what at first glance is quite a strange story to our kind of present circumstances, and yet the reality of evil, the power and wonderfulness of the Lord Jesus, and the importance of how we respond is still absolutely essential, the same way as it was then, it is today. And I pray, Father, that you would help us respond the right way to your Son, our Saviour the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and the one who uses that great responsibility and power, not for his own glory, but for the good of us, those who've turned their backs on him. Father, we're so thankful to him. Please help us live in, the, in his light all our days. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.